The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. But if you'd open up your Bibles if, uh, to Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to continue our study on the doctrine of the church, in particular the office of the pastor. And this evening I will complete this little four-part mini-series uh, in this uh, study of the church. And I intended um, maybe not to be this long, not to preach so many sermons on this particular subject, but I thought that the importance of the office demanded it, and uh, it was good, I think, to take the necessary time to give you the information that you need. But the pastor's office is a very vital one. Uh, it's the one office in the church that is the point of contact for the teaching of the Word of God to the entire congregation. Now, in his last address to the Ephesian elders, the Apostle Paul told them to watch over the flock of God, and he told them to feed them the Word of God. And that's something that you really need to be careful to do, to be sure that the pastor is feeding you the Word of God and then also to, to give him time that he needs to study. Give the pastor time that he needs to study. So you have to take some of the other things off of a pastor in order for him to spend time in the Word of God because it takes a, a good deal amount of time to rightly divide the Word of Truth. Well, we've covered a great deal of territory about pastoral ministry but there are just two final areas that I want to talk to you about tonight. And I'm not going to fill you in on all the previous things that we talked about. So we're going to take up tonight's outline with point number five, which is the authority of the office. And this message will be a little bit more personal than others, and I hope that you'll forgive me for that. Some of these things are hard for me to talk about, but they are part of the Scripture, and all Scripture is good for your learning. So our text verse tonight is Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17, and it's a very powerful verse on pastoral authority. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And then you might look up at the seventh verse because these two verses do have a vital connection. In the seventh verse it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now, verse number seven is actually about former leaders of the church, uh, those that have uh, faithfully taught you the word of God in the past. And here the, uh, the writer says that you're to remember the labor of those who spent their time giving you the word of God and, and just to be thankful for the lessons that you've learned from them. Be thankful always for good, godly, spiritual leaders that have taught you the word. Verse number 17, though, is about current leaders. And it says that you are to obey them and to submit to their authority. Now, before we go on, I've had some experience with changes in leadership. Now, all of you know that I come from a pastor's family. Uh, my father pastored for 40 years, and for those entire 40 years that he was pastoring, I was under his ministry and uh, worked in the church that he pastored. And then when he was no longer able to continue pastoring, we, uh, he retired, and so we 
called a new pastor for the church. And we were very enthusiastic about this new pastor that we called. Uh, he did some things that were differently, but uh, different rather, but we'd been taught to respect the office of the pastor and re- respect his authority. And so we gave him the latitude that he needed, uh, even though he did do some things differently. It was um, and we thought that we ought to let him do what he needed to do and leave the church as he felt best. Well, things were really good for a while until we learned that the pastor was much too different. Uh, when we hired him, of course, we interviewed him and we went through the doctrines that we believed and we asked him all kinds of questions. But this, this fellow knew what we expected to hear. And so he answered the questions according to what we expected to hear, but he didn't really believe what the church taught. And so things went on for a while, and uh, things started to go downhill. And then we learned that he didn't really study the Word of God, but he had about 20 sermons that he had, and he just put new titles on them and preached them over and over and over again. So uh, the reason I tell you all of that is because you also... As members of the church, you have a responsibility to scrutinize the messages that you hear and to be sure that what you hear is the Word of God. Now, what you ought to do is to respect the pastor. You need to listen to him, but you also need to very carefully examine the messages, both that that you understand it and that you make sure that he is actually teaching the Word of God and giving you the correct interpretation. So you want to be sure that he's telling you the truth and help the church to stay on the right path. Now, what's happened to many churches is they have strayed off the path. They've gotten off the biblical grid, you might say. They've strayed away from the Word of God, and they have become rock and roll churches and seeker-sensitive churches, and they've actually changed the Word in order to attract a crowd. Now, you want to make sure that that's not what happens here. Now, I'm not saying that music and things like that are something that make a church, but I will warn you about this. Those kinds of things are symptoms of a church that's liberalizing doctrine and may end up abandoning entirely the Word of God. So that's just a word of caution to you. And if you've been listening for the past 11 years or so or whatever time that you've been here, uh, you'll be able to tell when things don't sound quite right. I was talking to a young man just a a while ago about salvation, and he asked me, he said, how do you know when you're supposed to repent? How how do you know that you need to repent? And I said, well, the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will work in your heart, and he'll show you that you need to repent of your sins. Well, I think the same thing is true when it comes to membership in the church, that the Holy Spirit will show you when things aren't right. There's this little pinprick, you might say, that you get. And sometimes it's more than a prick. Sometimes it's slap upside of the head. And the Holy Spirit says, that's not right. And you recognize that. And so you have to watch out for that. Well, that be as it may, I, I don't give you this kind of information to undermine the authority of the pastor, but I do want you to scrutinize the Word of God in your own study, and you listen to hear what you see is right. But you also need to be aware that you need to pastor, uh, follow the pastor wholeheartedly, respect what he has to say, and don't assume because you have a different opinion that the pastor is wrong. You, you need to research the Word of God, and then don't assume that you're right and he's wrong just because you have a difference of opinion. Well, let's take a little bit of time to look at this passage, and I want to break it down a little for you. The first word that we see in the passage is obey. So let's use that as the 
operative word, and we'll feed off of that for the first part of the sermon tonight. First of all, who should you obey? Well, I think you understand the word obey. I'm sure that you do. In different settings, there are different people that you obey. In Ephesians chapter 6, the apostle Paul said that children ought to obey their parents. And he said also in that chapter that servants should obey their masters. And so we know that in the sphere of the home, it's the parent that has the authority and children are to obey their parents. In your workplace, it's your employer that has the authority. And you have the responsibility to answer to that authority and work under him accordingly. Well, the church is also a place where you have a sphere of authority. And in fact, this is the most important place where there is authority. And the person who is an authority in the church is the pastor of the church. Now, although the church installs him as the pastor, puts him into the office, the church is not the ones who give him his authority. That authority comes from God. Now, let me show you how that uh, this is true from the scriptures. In, in that earlier passage that I referenced in the book of Acts where Paul was speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. There you see, Paul says, the Holy Ghost has made you an overseer. In Ephesians 4, verse number 11, it says there that Christ puts pastors in the church. In 1 Peter chapter 5, it tells us that the church is the flock of God. And so that ought to be very clear to us who it is that gives the pastor his authority. It is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So all three of those, the Trinity of God, is involved in giving the pastor the authority that he has to teach the Word of God. Now, that ought to tell you right away that you need to listen. It ought to tell you immediately that the authority is high and you ought to pay attention to what's said you ought to listen very carefully and know that you are receiving the word of God. Now, Paul told Timothy, and Timothy was a, a very young pastor, he told him to be faithful in preaching the word, and he told the people to receive what was being taught as it is the word of God. And that's how you are to listen to the pastor. You are to listen in the way that you believe that he is giving you the word that comes from God. Now notice also these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, Against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Now there is a verse that guards the office of the pastor against all kinds of unwarranted attacks. And so that means when you speak about your pastor, that you are to tread lightly. You speak lightly, or you tread lightly, rather, because he holds an office that is extremely important. And in fact, I believe it's one that's more important even than the President of the United States. And that's because the authority is the highest that there is. Now, as I say that, we need to understand that the pastor is not divine. He has a divine authority, but he's not divine himself. And so he doesn't deserve veneration as one who is some kind of a superhuman or is actually the embodiment of Christ. Now, that's one of the things that Roman Catholicism teaches, that you know how they venerate the Pope or the cardinals and they call them your holiness. 
But we're not to demand that kind of respect from the people. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I don't even like to use the term reverend. I don't like for people to call me reverend. I think that's too presumptuous to even use that term. Arthur Pink, who was a a preacher from back in the middle of the 20th century, probably knew more than any pastor or any person, any preacher of the word than you'll ever meet, he didn't like to use the word or use the title doctor. He completely disdained using that kind of a term. Now, he took that from where Jesus said, don't be called rabbi. He said, don't, you don't need to be called rabbi. And actually, rabbi is a term that would be the same as us saying doctor. So Pink, even though he, was, he had earned his doctorate degrees and all of that, he didn't like to be called doctor at all. He completely refused to use that. And he certainly wouldn't use it like... I'm afraid to say many Baptist preachers that have honorary degrees and call themselves doctor. Well, Pink wasn't into that at all. But I'm not here to argue about the pride and arrogance of pastors. I want to speak to you about pastoral authority that's been granted by God. Now, notice also the word rule. That refers to authority. But the pastor has no authority as a magistrate. And I mean by that that I don't have any way to enforce rules against you. I don't have any unilateral authority to inflict any kind of punishment upon you if you don't do what I say. There is no penalty involved here. And of course, that's another distortion of Roman Catholicism because uh, for centuries, what they would do is torture and kill. They did kill millions of people who would not uh, obey the edicts of the Pope. But I don't have that kind of authority. I don't want that kind of authority. So you may wonder, how is it then that a pastor rules when he doesn't have any kind of authority to inflict punishment on you for breaking rules? Well, the pastor rules, or he has authority, because of the love of the people. And he has that authority because of the respect of the people. When a pastor is dignified, when he is a consistent Christian, when he instills confidence in people by his knowledge of the word and good judgment, then there is a, there, there's a willingness to obey that just flows out of that respect that the people have for their pastor. Now, when a pastor gets the Rodney Dangerfield syndrome, where I don't get no respect, Well, it's usually because he doesn't actually deserve that respect. And there are pastors who must think that that the church will not give them the respect that they deserve because they see this word rule in the Bible, and they take that word and they make themselves dictators. And so they control people. They they try to force people into submission. So they're not leaders. They're taskmasters. They don't lead people. They get behind people and they drive them like they're driving them with a whip. Well, God doesn't want that kind of a pastor. He doesn't want people to to obey a pastor because of fear. Now, Peter said, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And listen, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Peter says a pastor is not to be a lord. Now, who, who could have demanded more authority and demand that people obey him more than the apostle Peter? Or any apostles, for that matter. If they wanted to take a title of Lord over God's people, they certainly could have done it. But Peter said, don't do that. Don't force the people. 
And so the pastor's not to be a slave driver. He's not to be treated as Lord and obeyed because of fear or neither because he has some sort of an executive privilege. And folks, quite frankly, that happens to be one of the beefs that I have with independent, the independent Baptist fundamental view of the pastorate. And this might surprise you to hear me say this, but that's one of the beefs that I have is when a pastor takes too much authority upon himself, when he takes authority that doesn't really belong to him. And there's a lot of that go, that goes on. There are a lot of pastors that assume authority that they don't actually have. Now, some years ago, I knew a pastor in Kentucky, and uh, he would never let his people address him by his first name. Now, that's okay. That, that's okay if he thinks that teaches people respect, and that's sort of a preferential issue, and I'm not going to complain too much about that or criticize about, uh, that. I don't feel that way, but he thought maybe that was a way to teach respect. The only thing is, though, he wasn't actually... I said he thought that way. He wasn't thinking that way. That wasn't his way of teaching people respect. It was his way of getting people to follow him and fear him. And so the people didn't follow him because he was a good shepherd and because they respected the leadership. They were afraid of him. Now, you may not understand that, but there are people that get into churches and pastors can have a mesmerizing control over them to the point that they almost act as a cult. And I think that there are some independent Baptist churches, unfortunately, that almost operate like a cult where the pastor has all the authority in the church. Well, that, of course, is not the way that God would have us to lead. And that pastor that I talked about, you died several years ago, and I'm not sure if it wasn't meanness that killed him. That might have been what did it. So that's not God's intent for the office. There is to be authority, but not because it is demanded. Now, we have authority... Or people, we have authority in the church because the people actually want authority. They want someone to watch over them. They want someone to give them the word of God. They appreciate it when the word of God is taught to them, and so they respect the authority that's over them. And that's the reason that a pastor can rule according to Scripture. It doesn't have to force anybody, but people are willing to obey because of the way that he gives them the word of God and the way that he conducts the affairs of the church. Now, here in Berean, you know that, that our bylaws give the pastor much authority. There are a lot of things that I could do where I could act unilaterally. I could make decisions all by myself and never have to ask anybody about them. I mean, I have that kind of authority in our bylaws. We have a deacon board, but as you know, and I've taught you in uh, many deacon ordinations in the past, it's almost always a point that I bring up, that we don't have a deacon board that rules the church. Deacon rulers in a church, that's also against Scripture. The Bible nowhere gives deacons the authority to run a church. But even though I could have all of this authority if I wanted to have it, you can ask any of our deacons and find out how is it that we actually operate this church. Well, we operate the church almost all the time, with a consensus. We get together, we discuss things, we make decisions, and I listen to what the deacons have to say. And they'll tell you very, very, very seldom do I ever overrule anything that we've decided in the deacon board. So I don't want that, uh, uh, that dictatorship. I don't want to take that kind of authority upon myself. And so we work together. And I think, again, that's how a pastor should work. I don't, want to, I don't have to demand authority from the deacons. 
but they give me the latitude that I need. They acknowledge me as an authority because people simply respect the office. And that's what God would have you to do. Now, secondly, why should you obey? Well, again, the scripture says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, notice there, secondly, is the word in the scripture that says submit. Obey them, and then he says submit. So you get the same idea in two ways. You get obey and submit, and that's a double emphasis. Well, why do you do it? Why should you obey? Well, first of all, because the pastor watches for your soul. And you know, I think that's one of the hardest concepts that people have to understand. They think that when the pastor preaches against their sin, that he's picking on them, or he has it in for them, and... and uh, whatever it might be, or he's mad at them, or the pastor's mean, and all those kinds of things. But did you know this? On a purely human level, do you know how I'd like to deal with you? Do you know how I'd like to deal with you? I'd like to not deal with you at all. On a purely human level, that's the way that I'd like it to be. I mean, I've got my own troubles. I've got my own problems, and without following people around, find out what they're doing, and and, uh, talk to them, and harass them about their sin, I've got all kinds of problems. That's the way it would be on a human level. But I don't deal on a human level. I mean, I've been called as the pastor of the church. I've been called by God to do this. And so from this higher authority, I'm supposed to think on a different level. And what does the Word of God say? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And so what I need to do is think on a different level about you And so I gladly take the oversight of the church, and I want to help you because the Bible says that I'm to watch for your soul, and God tells me to do that whether you like it or not. Do you understand that? God says for me to do this, to talk about your sin, to preach against your sin, to warn you about your sin, whether you want me to do it or not. That's what God expects from his pastors. Now, I have then a motive to help you to become more like Christ because I know how you can live your Christian life to the fullest, what's best for you to live your Christian life in the best way you can. I also know this, and you should too as a Christian, you should know that God chastises his people. And I don't want you to live in chastisement. So that's why I don't want you to live in sin. I know sin is going to make you miserable, that you'll live your Christian life all of the time with a big knot in your stomach if you're not following Christ. And if you claim to be a Christian and you don't follow Christ and you don't have a knot in your stomach, then you're not a Christian. I mean, that's about as simple as it can be because God chastises those that are disobedient to him. And the pastor is here to help you to understand the word of God, obey the word of God so that you won't be chastised. Now, the motivation for that is love. Paul says in Galatians 4.16, Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? I'm not your enemy. I'm your best friend. The friends that let you sin and don't say anything about it are not your friends at all. Proverbs says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And so the worst enemy that you could ever have is a pastor who doesn't care what you do, 
A pastor that would just let you go into all kinds of wrong and all kinds of sin and never say a word to you about it. That kind of a pastor does not love your soul. And so this is the reason that I do this. I care about how you live your Christian life because I care about your soul. But I also have another motive, and you find it in this statement. He says, for they watch for your souls as they must give an account. So you obey and you submit, secondly, because the pastor is responsible for you. I have to give an account of the way that I direct you in the things of the Lord. Now, I want you to listen to how serious this is. This is what God says in Ezekiel chapter 3. When I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet, if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Now, you see what he says here? When I preach against your sin, I'm saving my own hide. You understand that? I'm saving my own hide. Now, I don't want to preach for a selfish motive, but wouldn't you take this very seriously if God said this to you? That he said, if you don't do this, I'm going to require their souls at your hand? Wouldn't you take that seriously if you had that kind of a warning? I certainly do. And so I can't let you go on without saying anything. I can't force you to obey, but I can warn you about it. And once I've warned you, it's on your head, not on mine. Now, do you know what that means in your relationship to the pastor? Calvin said it well. He said, the heavier the burden they bear, the more honor they deserve. For the more labor anyone undertakes for our sake and the more difficulty and danger he incurs for us, the greater our obligation to him. Do you understand what he means when he says the danger that they incur? you know what that danger is? It's the danger of standing accountable to God. The danger of having him hold me accountable if I don't teach you the truth. Now, I take that seriously, and I hope that you do too. The greater the condemnation, the more danger that we incur. Now, thirdly, you are responsible to the pastor. Again, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as that they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now, what happens when members of the church buck the authority of the pastor? What happens when people just will not obey and people go their own way and they do what they want to do? Well, when that happens, getting anywhere, doing anything, accomplishing anything for the Lord in the church becomes exceedingly difficult. The ministry becomes burdensome, and it becomes very, very tedious. If you keep me busy chasing after you, trying to straighten you out, then it makes it very hard for me to concentrate on what needs to be done for the entire body of Christ. Now, let me tell you what your responsibility then as a church member and it's not very hard, at least it's not hard for me to tell you what it is. It might be real hard for you to try to do it, but here's what God expects, and this is, what, this is how you keep a pastor's ministry from being burdensome. How do you do it? Stay in church, listen to what's said, comply with what's said, obey and submit, and when you do, a pastor's ministry becomes joyful. 
And when it's not that way, all the membership of the church suffers. Now, a happy church is one in in which we can all come together and have fellowship and harmony in the Word of God and enjoy each other's company. Now, you'll notice that the last part of the verse says that it's unprofitable for you if you make the pastor's ministry hard. Well, it's unprofitable for you, and that tells you that you are not off the hook. Not only does the pastor answer to God, but you also answer to God for the way that you respond to leadership. Now listen to what Hebrews says, Hebrews 10.30. For we know them, know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. You ever thought about that verse? The Lord shall judge his people. Now, he's not talking to lost there. The lost are not his people. He's speaking of saved people in that verse. The Lord is going to judge the church member that makes the ministry of the pastor grievous. Well, let's move on from there, and uh, let's go to the last part of our discussion tonight. And this is where it gets very, very difficult for me. Uh, The sixth one is the support of the pastor. Now, this is the hardest one to talk about. And yet I do understand that it is a part of God's word. And I am to declare to you the whole counsel of God's word. It's good for you and it's good for me. And in just a few minutes, you'll see why it's so hard. And you may not like what I have to say. We'll just have to wait a few minutes and see how it turns out. In my library, I have a collection of books that was written by an author who was a pastor for many years and pastored many different congregations Now, he wrote a series of books that are biographies of different Bible characters. He also has a a series on the life of the Savior. And I don't know what he went through as a pastor, but by reading his comments in many, many different places, it's very evident that he had some real tough times being a pastor, that there were many congregations that must have abused him. Now, I was reading his comments on a text in Matthew, and he said that, that there's nothing worse than a church treasurer who withholds the pastor's pay so he can't feed his family. Now, I don't know what kind of people he was dealing with, and I sure don't know what kind of authority they gave the treasurer. But uh, he had some kind of problems with that. And uh, he was in places where they didn't pay him like they were supposed to, didn't give him what was promised, or maybe they tried to beat him down to, to have very little. And uh, he commented about that. Now, let me, let me just read a comment to you from the New Directory for Baptist Churches. And I've used this several times throughout this study. It was written by Edward Hiscox around the turn of, of the uh, 20th century. And uh, it's, a, um, it's a, well, it's New Directory. It's, it, what it is is a, uh, a guidebook, you might say, for churches, a guidebook for, for uh, the ministry. And so it tells you all different kinds of things about how a church operates. And, and he was a Baptist, and that was, that's what he was writing, a new directory for Baptist churches. Well, around that time, he must have also been very much aware of problems that churches had in paying their pastors and taking care of them like they were supposed to. So this is what he wrote. A pastor should be well and generously supported as to his salary, according to the ability of the church he serves. Few things exhibit the essential meanness of human nature, a Christian human nature even, more clearly than for a people to stint and crowd a pastor down to the smallest pittance while they have an abundance or live in affluence. The true minister of Christ will cheerfully share necessities with his people, but it's cruel and contemptible for them to lade him with heavy burdens which they are not willing to help him bear. 
He will not expect to live up to the standard of the wealthiest. He ought not to be expected to live down to the standard of the poorest. And if there be one thing more dishonorable than cramping him to the smallest amount of salary, it is that refinement of cruelty of not paying him the salary agreed upon when it is due, compelling him to endure the shame and grief of living in debt, unable to pay for the necessaries of life while they have an abundance. Now, first of all, let me tell you, I'm not reading you this because I'm getting on Berean Baptist Church. That's not the purpose of this at all. This is so you might understand what the Word of God has to say about these things. Now, let me translate a little bit of what Hiscock said. Now, essentially, what he's telling the church is that if you can afford to own a house, then the pastor ought to be able to afford a house. If you can afford to drive a nice car, then the pastor ought to be able to drive a nice car. If you can take vacations and you can afford to do that, then the pastor ought to be paid well enough that he's able to take vacations. And he says he's not to be the richest person in the church, nor is he to be the poorest person in the church. Now listen to what the Word of God has to say on the subject of, of the pastor and his, his pay. In 1 Timothy 5.17 it says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in word and doctrine. Now, I'm not going to go into detail about that verse, but almost all commentators agree that this verse is linked to the support of the pastor. Moffat and White, in their exposition of the Greek New Testament, say double honor means better remuneration or, or and, I should say, twice the salary. Well, commentators struggle with that. And they struggle with how much that a pastor ought to be paid. And I'll tell you why that they struggle so much. It's because most commentaries were written by pastors. And it's very hard for a pastor to get up and talk to you about how much pay that he's supposed to receive and what that, you know, what that's supposed to be when he's the beneficiary of it. It's very difficult for the pastor to talk about. So let me just say it in this way, that no one should begrudge the pay of the pastor. And the church ought to pay the pastor the best that they can. And there may be even some sacrifice involved, other things that have to be let go, some sacrifice that has to be involved to pay the pastor well. Now, that's hard for me to say, but, but I'm just following what the Scripture has to say about it. And you may say, well, why does the Bible say that? Why does the Bible say that a pastor should receive double honor? Well, there's several reasons for it. Uh, one of the main ones is that the pastor's mind might be alleviated from financial concerns. Now, understand this, that the burden of finances is one that the church can readily take care of. That's a burden that can be taken care of. There are many, many other things that a pastor faces that you have no ability to relieve those burdens. You have, you, there's nothing that you can do about them. Some of that stuff is between me and God. Some of it is about you, and it's between me and God. And there are just burdens that you can't deal with. Here is one that the church can deal with. They can alleviate it. Now, it's interesting that the Bible states it this way because you remember what Jesus taught. He said that we should take no thought for tomorrow, that we are to trust that God will supply. And there are those that take those comments that Jesus made in the Gospels and they use that as a defense against paying a pastor sufficiently. Well, how are we to use that scripture in light of what 
the Apostle Paul says in, in other places of the New Testament. Well, I can say this, that I know that Jesus intended that the pastor would be taken care of according to the Old Testament principle that was already established. There's a precedent that's already been set. And Jesus taught the disciples that they could expect that God would have a method of supplying their needs. And that method would actually come through the church. And don't you remember that Jesus talked about that as well, that there would be people that would provide. Well, the way that people provide for the pastor is through tithes and offerings. So God expects tithes and offerings to be used for the support of the pastor, and that's the way that he frees the pastor from taking thought of how he's going to pay his bills and how he's going to be supplied. See, those things work together. So here's the method that the Word of God puts into place that the pastor can be taken care of. Now, Paul repeated the Old Testament principle in the 18th verse of 1 Timothy 5. He says, For the Scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So Paul goes right back to that Old Testament principle and teaches the church how to take care of the pastor, that when he labors well, then he is to be paid for that labor. Now, that's a quotation, actually, from Deuteronomy 25, verse number 4. So the principle is very simple, that if you respect the pastor and you appreciate what he does, then you show the value by opening up your pocketbook. And it may be that those who begrudge the pastor are the ones who are greedy and not actually the pastor himself. Now, as I say that, I know that there are many abuses, and you know that's true. There are many pastors that are in it for what they can suck out of the church, and they take all the wealth, and they uh, teach all kinds of crazy doctrines in order to get people to, to give them money. Well, we're not to honor pastors that would do that. But that's not really the problem in most cases. The real problem is that churches treat pastors like hired hands. And, and they want the pastor to serve at the pleasure of the people. And the way that they do that is to keep him indebted to the people. And they don't pay him properly. Now, believe me when I say this. I, I know what I'm talking about here. I lived in a pastor's home. And I started out this whole thing way back when, whenever we started a while ago, talking to you about uh, how that I was raised in a pastor's home. And I love my dad. Now, my dad's been dead for several years, many years now. And I loved him. I still love my dad. But I can never remember him teaching very much at all on this subject. And consequently, when I grew up, that our family lived far on far less than what the church was actually capable of paying him. But he wouldn't say anything about it. And if there's, if there's something that he did wrong, he did not teach the people sufficiently on this subject. And so I saw what he went through, and I determined that I would not let the subject slide. Now, understand, I'm not chiding the church. I'm not campaigning for anything. I'm not saying I'm not treated well. That's not what this is about at all. I'm just putting it into your mind why things operate the way that they do and what the church's responsibility is. So there ought not to really be any contentions and fights over the issue. And again, I'm not saying that there is, but the church should make sure that this is an area that's taken care of. Now, one of the things that you've charged the deacons to do when it comes to the area of finances of the church, that the deacons 
are responsible to see that the pastor gets what he ought to get, that, he ought, that he's treated right and treated well by the church. So what commentators do, I mentioned that many commentators were pastors, and so it's difficult to deal with the issue. So what they did many, in many cases is to settle for a middle-of-the-road position. Now, the scripture there that says that a pastor is due double honor, well, they split that up, and they say, well, that means respect and financial remuneration. And that's okay to an extent, but unfortunately, many churches want to quadruple their respect and not give the finances. And do you realize that that's not actually respect at all? That what it does is to degrade the value of the pastor's work. It says that what he does amounts to very little. So it comes down to this. And again, I'm not campaigning for anything. I'm teaching you the scripture. It comes down to this, that the church is willing to pay for what's valuable to them. If you think that it's worth it, then you show the worth. And if you don't, then you don't. Now, I'm going to end my talk on that subject, that particular subject. And let me just say that I took four sermons to say this, that the pastor's position is integral to the church. You observe churches that can't find a pastor or churches that have bad pastors and see the character of the church. See, a big church does not always equal good pastor. And a small church does not always equal bad pastor. And maybe you didn't know this, but all across our country, there are very, very good pastors that labor in congregations of about 80 people or less. That's, that's the average across the country, about 80 people or less. And whenever you see big, big churches, you can't always assume, well, that's a really a great pastor that they've got there, because many times big churches grow because of their compromise of the Word of God. I mean, the pastor's already figured out that he can't preach as straight as he ought to preach and tell people what he ought to tell them because he knows that it will kill the crowd. And he wants to keep people coming. So you can't always look and say, well, the big church, they're the ones that's doing everything right. Now, on the other hand, you have many small churches that pastors stick to the word, that they preach the truth. It doesn't matter who's sitting in the pew. It doesn't matter who you are. The pastor would still preach against your sin. And you ought to honor and respect a pastor like that who's not afraid to preach the word of God. Now, I'm thankful for some big churches, and they do have great pastors, and they got big, and they have influence over a lot of people, and we thank the Lord for that. But don't ever shortchange the small church that you see out there, whether it's this church or any church. Don't say, well, there must be something wrong with that church because they're not a big church. It doesn't mean anything at all. That doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean anything about what the pastor's like. See, he can be someone who's a very godly man who's working as hard as he can to teach people the truth and the ones that come are the ones that want to receive that truth. So whatever, the, whatever makes you joyful in your salvation, whatever makes your walk with the Lord more productive, that's what I want to do. And, and I, I praise God when the response to that teaching is right. So if it makes you joy in your salvation, then we praise the Lord. If it makes you want to fire me, then maybe I'm trying too hard. I'm outliving my usefulness. I don't know. But and you decide that. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you about that. You decide. Are you being taught the truth? Are you hearing 
what God wants you to hear? Is the word of God expounded from the pulpit like it should be done? Or is the pastor is the pastor holding something back? Does the pastor just want to go with the flow and just get people in no matter what it takes? When I do that, then you can get rid of me, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. And these things are hard for me to talk about. And, and as I've just told the people tonight, uh, this is a very, very stressful day, dealing with the subject this morning that I know that I couldn't possibly do that justice. And that's a lot of pressure. And I thank you, Lord, for helping to get through that. Then to come back tonight and have to talk about this kind of a subject, it's very, very difficult. But I do hope that your people take it in the spirit that it's given. There is no complaint here. Uh, there's, There's nothing here that I'm saying that I haven't been treated well because Berean Baptist Church is filled with the greatest people I've ever known. And uh, we just thank you, Lord, so much for them. Help us in the, in the years that we have together to labor together, to preach your word, to respond to the truth. And, Lord, help us, help us and be with us all of the time in what we do. And may we never, never uh, shortchange people on the truth of your word. So thank you, Lord, for your people. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.